0: Margin Call is the podcast that gives you behind-the-scenes access to the ups and downs of working in the Forex CFD industry. We interview the people that keep the show on the road, giving you insight into what makes the industry tick. The series is guest hosted by myself, Jordan Michaelides, and produced by the team at Neural Media. To learn more, visit gomarkets.com slash podcast. That's G-O-M-A-R-K-E-T-S dot com slash podcast, or take a look at the GoMarkets suite of products at gomarkets.com. Go Markets is a derivatives broker and Jordan Michaelides is the Managing Director of Neural Media. All opinions expressed by Jordan and podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Go Markets, an AFSL license holder. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for financial decisions, nor as an indication of future performance. Clients of Go Markets may hold positions in the derivatives mentioned. A financial services guide and product disclosure statement for our products are available at gomarkets.com. In this episode, we spoke with Rupert Hackett. Rupert is the co-founder and advisor at Caleb & Brown, while also a director at ADCA, the Australian Digital Commerce Association. Caleb and Brown is Australia's first cryptocurrency brokerage, and Rupert is undoubtedly one of the best minds when it comes to local industry governance in Australia. This was a great chat on the developments in the world of cryptocurrency on the client side of the business. In this episode, we covered OTC and Caleb and Brown, crypto consulting and risk, how exchanges and settlements actually work, client demographics and acquisition of the business, and then the global crypto market and analytics as well. If you like the episode, leave a rating or review on your podcast app, or consider sharing with your friends by taking a screenshot and posting on your Instagram story, tagging at GoMarkets. Show notes and all previous guests are at GoMarkets.com slash podcasts. With that being said, let's get into the episode with Rupert Hackett. Rupert. How are you going? Good, thanks. How are you? It's been a while. It has been a while. How are you finding the... As we were chatting down in the kitchen before, how are you finding this recent bull run in crypto? Um, yeah, it's been a
1: great uh, transition from a very slow nine months prior. Um, it, was, it was a bit surreal. I mean, a lot of us were looking at the price levels, had a lot of targets around 6500 which was, you know, a $2,000 move up. And then we hit... 8,400, you know, a matter of hours after that, which caught a lot of people off guard. It's interesting, We, um, our, our analyst, um, he looked at the charts and there was a whale on Bitfinex that had loaded up a 10,000 Bitcoin short from about the start of April. And then he closed that at the top with a $23 million US loss. That was that uh, was thirty seven percent of all the shorts on on uh, Bitfinex at the moment. So, wow. Yeah, there's been a bit of a uh, bit of movement from the uh, the whales. Have was, you
0: have you seen anything else crazy like that? Like we we had seen the other day on um, CoinJar where like we had the biggest ever transfer in. So obviously, like an arb play, the biggest transfer in of BTC I've ever seen in my life. It was something like forty or fifty. Wow it's massive like it's normally like for, for context it's normally like one or two or yeah. something like that at a time but this is huge
1: we have we've um, we've started to see a lot more players start to enter you know like generally we deal with individuals uh, who are investing or you know SMSFs and that type of stuff and then recently we've seen an unusual amount of um, LLCs that are you know looking at your half million dollar trades or bigger than that which is strange you know like that that we haven't seen that for at least you know oof, you know february march last year so mm. it's um it's a big sentiment shift I mean, again we had um people just walking in from the street um coming up to us saying like oh i want to buy bitcoin and we're like who are these guys? Are they here to steal <laughs> it? Like, why are they <laughs> knocking on the door? Um, really? Yeah, they were, they were they were legit. So, um, wow. It, yeah, that's, that's definitely a big indication that um, the sentiment is slowly shifting.
0: We've had one or two of those. It's always funny. It's like, ah, uh, yeah, we can't really open an account for you here. You just need to do it on your phone. <laughs> <laughs> but that's all. That's good. It's a good thing to see that because it shows that people are very intrigued by what's going on. Um, mm. I want to jump into what you're specifically doing in this space because you've had a really interesting role. Like you've always been one of the key types that people look for when it comes to governance. You've always Mm. had a bit of involvement with ADCA. Uh, For a while, you were on the exchange side with bitcoin.com.au and now you've sort of moved to more of the services side with Caleb and Brown. Caleb and Brown sort of this unique little player in the industry that does a whole bunch of auxiliary services but... They're lumped in under this, you know, catch-all phrase of OTC, <laughs> um, yeah. and some people in the FX space would know what they, that is. They know what crypto is, but I, I guess from your perspective, what is what is it?
1: Yeah, well, well, I guess um, the the word OTC um, it, it, it's a bit different to your traditional financial uh, meaning of the word uh, because this this space operates, you know, it's an open source peer to peer technology that we're selling. So, really, the, the word OTC can be applied in many different scales. What we're doing, I mean, I think that we're more so pivoting into what you would call a brokerage. Um, so, yeah. we've had that kind of internal discussion around who are we, who are our clients, what is the product and service that we're offering, um, and really how I would articulate it is that it's a uh, it's ancillary or secondary market for cryptocurrency so when you look at the space, you've got your exchanges and, you know, before Caleb and Brown, they were the only way to make revenue in this space. Everything else is pre-revenue. Um, Caleb and Brown is really the service that caters towards the act of purchasing cryptocurrency. So a lot of the things we do is um, someone wants to purchase a large amount of cryptocurrency. What they won't realize is, um, is you're limited to the liquidity that's available and this market is not that liquid so we have people that have a very you know respectable coin you know we're talking top 50 coins and they only have a couple hundred thousand dollars of it but if they try to sell it they're going to move the market by uh, 10% in terms of the spot price so our service is you know we understand the markets we have credit and facilities and relationships with a lot of the otc desks exchanges we understand the risk we've built the reputations we've fleeced out the illegitimate players and then we provide that as a service to the end user Um, what we're generally seeing is that we can beat a market purchase of a lot of these coins inclusive of all our fees in that product so there's that component then there's um general education. A lot of people don't know how to secure this asset. They want mm-hmm. they want to invest the SMSF. They're unsure how to do it. We give them the full consultation. Beyond that, there's access to coins that they don't know how to access or before they go to market. That's another big component. Um, or then there's just general entry and exit or having that um, advice component. Well, this is not financial advice. <laughs> what I mean is more of a um, risk assessment and a general sensibility of someone who can objectively say like, do you realize that this coin is not necessarily safe and you shouldn't be selling your house to buy it? And that's actually a lot of what we do um, in this kind of nebulous advice, this is not financial advice world, is actually um, educating people around risk inherent in cryptocurrency. Mm. Because what we see is a lot of people, they purchase it, but they don't understand, they're not really looking at this as a traditional investment. They're not really considering their portfolio holistically, um, how it's balanced, what they've invested in, what the competitors are, you know, diversification across sector, across market cap, general fluctuations in their portfolio um, and the variance in, in the uh, price of their assets. And so a lot of what we do is actually educate the user on you know, we do this a lot where we give, you know, to our clients, we give free risk assessments that says, here's your portfolio, here's the returns that you're seeing, here's the, the volatility of your assets, here's the risks that you may not be aware that you're taking. Uh, and so really what we're trying to build is a long lasting relationship with the client that um, puts us in a position that we can educate them around how to um, safely manage their cryptocurrency assets and, um, and that that's effectively a full service.
0: Why do you think this hasn't existed before? I feel like Caleb and Brown's probably one of the first businesses to do, do it locally. Yeah, and there's still not much that I'm, I'm aware of internationally. Yeah, well, not many of them. Well, <laughs>
1: so the, the reason the reason why we're one of the first was because um, before us, really, the only people that wanted to buy large amounts of cryptocurrency were um, probably drug dealers or money launderers. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, that was that was kind of pre-us. And then um, we saw that there was legitimate opportunities in that space. Um, that's where the OTC really started. And then it was just a real natural migration into offering value for the end user. And, um, you know, because the thing about Caleb and Brown is that the only way that we succeed is if our clients succeed. Mm-hmm. And so it's very important for us to foster that relationship and ensure that we're always providing value. And, um, and really that's matured into, you know, what's looking more and more like a um, traditional financial house. I think one of the hardest things is um, it's actually knowing how to acquire cryptocurrency talent that can execute on those things. Um, it's taken us a long time and uh, um, we've been very slow about it because, you know, how many people were managing unit trusts investing in cryptocurrency for five years. Um, I know one guy in Australia and he, he's, he works with us. You know, how many people were um, screening ICOs for exchanges to quantify the risk inherent in the projects? You know, I know one person and they work with us. How many people have been, you know, investing in mining in crypto since 2013? Because we're, basically that's our entire team. We've got a, the, a group of people that collectively, I think we, we did the tally once. I think we have about 25 years and collective experience in managing cryptocurrency internally hmm. um, and that's one of the hardest things is it's very rare to f- to be able to build that foundation uh, and that's really necessary for the type of product that Caitlin Brown offers
0: Yeah, so it's it sounds like for some individuals or for a certain type of demographic there's a lot of inherent issues in this product that just take a lot of time and when you're restricted in time you need a service like this it sort of sounds like that and, I, you know, people always ask, oh, why do brokers exist and why do these intermediaries exist and I think it's this exact reason. It's a form of consulting that you're providing.
1: Yeah, well, um, I mean, what we see is that it, it, it's always about the client and his journey, I know this because I, I, I've gone through the same experiences. You start off, you're in cryptocurrency, you, you've invested, you get into trading, you start trading, um, eventually, you know, you either become a, a multimillionaire or, <laughs> um, or you stop trading. And what happens then is now you're holding these assets. Um, and so what we're offering is that intermediary solution where for a lot of our clients, so So one thing we do, right, is when a client purchases cryptocurrency for us, we know his entry point. We can speak with them and find out how much money they're looking to make, what type of return they're looking at. And then we can call them when their asset moves. And that's a big difference because it means that you don't have to be actively trading. You have a broker who will say, John, congratulations, you're up 30%. You were looking for X, X percent return this quarter in your asset. You can execute now and realize that. Uh, and that's that, that's a very core component, I think, that a lot of people don't see again you know we have clients that have hundreds of thousands of dollars of crypto in highly volatile assets and they they're not um capitalizing on that volatility why hold a highly volatile speculative asset if you're not looking to capitalize on its inherent risk mm. and we provide that as a consultation service, which allows someone to uh, have a rich life and stop watching screens every um, twenty, you know, twenty-four-seven, which is the biggest challenge in cryptocurrency. We, we do that instead. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it sort of sounds like the game as well is different. Like in Exchange Land, you're either you're basically managing a float of exposure, and either you're netting off that exposure, or you're trading against the book. Whereas with this, you're sort of uh, trying to get some returns on behalf of your clients and and in return, you get a return as well.
1: And, and again, uh, exactly. And there's a lot of risk that people just don't know. And, you know, how many exchanges have been hacked and how many people were holding funds in those exchanges purely due to a, a, a lack of education or a, a lack of competitive service. Um, one thing that we do is we do a... Um, post-trade settlement so if a if a client is trusted which you know i I won't say how live on the phone in case any scammers are listening (laughs) um, but once a client is trusted they can effectively ask us to execute on a trade before the funds have been settled to us so you can you can effectively purchase fifty thousand dollars of bitcoin instantly without any time delay and without any counterparty risk and if you've been in this space a long time you know that Mtgox lost eight hundred and fifty thousand bitcoins. Um, what was the
0: the latest one in Canada? Was, uh, uh, yeah, there was that um, Quadriga, the CEO who passed away. Yeah, his... and there was also Binance. Yeah, yeah, Binance yeah. last week, biggest exchange in the world. Yeah,
1: and um, ironically, you know, we use our capital to take that risk for you. <laughs> <laughs> so that's um, that's one of the things that that. But you know, the, the value is is that we're not we're doing this all the time. We're we're so aware of the market that we're very uh, on our toes around market news conditions and ca- taking risk. And again, we're not putting all our eggs in Binance where um, we have assets on every exchange in the world. Every major,
0: every exchange that isn't exaggerating <laughs> the, the, their volume. Yeah, <laughs> that isn't a scam,
1: exactly. So,
0: th- there must be a tricky thing. So, like things like settlement, how does how does that actually work? Because like most exchanges are T plus zero, like are you guys T plus one, two or three? And, you know, like when you have accounts, do they actually hold money with you or are you just managing their accounts on their behalf and, you know, you're dubbed a consultant by them?
1: Yeah. So, look, um, horses for courses. It, realistically, um, a lot of it comes down to um, the individual and how large his portfolio is. You know, again, we don't want to back someone's assets if we can't have the capital as a company to support that. We have services where we'll set it up. Um, so, so one of the things that we're doing at the moment is, I'm, I'm not sure if your listeners uh, know, but you know the idea of cold storage for cryptocurrency where you secure cryptocurrency in a physical medium. So you ultimately have a physical device and a set of uh, numbers or a passphrase that you need to physically secure. and if you physically secure them, those funds are absolutely secure, analogous to securing gold. Um, we offer, we're, we're offering a service quite soon where a client can effectively set up a safety deposit box and then give us a temporary access to those funds when required. So we're not the owner. Those funds exist. They're offline in, in a highly secure environment in a vault. And then that we can be an authorized agent where once that user gives permission, we can access that vault for uh, say, a 24-hour window. Um, things like this, we've helped a lot of clients. Um, they have bank accounts um, which, you know, are separate from ours, but effectively they operate so a client can get in and out of the market and instantaneously.
0: Right. And and settlement of the actual trades is just dependent on, like, each exchange, right? Well, yeah, I mean, we've got... Each
1: situation. We, we've, we've got uh, banks across the world. Mm. Uh Generally, it's around banking delays. It's always the... So, how it works is, say, client sends us a million dollars. We can purchase those coins, uh, but once that has been submitted, but we do not release the coins until the funds are cleared into our account. So, the settlement can take one to three days, you know, your classic banking spiel. Um, but, you know, that's, that's for anywhere in the world, effectively.
0: Okay. And so, most of your customers, like, how would you define... Them Do they have a certain type of demographic?
1: I I think there's three demographics. Um, So, what we're really seeing is there's a maturization of the average cryptocurrency investor. So, stage one is, I don't know anything about cryptocurrency, but I want to get some. These people, we generally do consultation, education, access to a market, general, you know, the 101 of how to structure a portfolio so you have conservative assets and high-risk assets and you're not overexposed to high-risk assets, things like that. Just your, your very general basic 101 about how to invest in cryptocurrency, how to secure it, and how to access it. Number two is more of your intermediate trader. That's generally where having a 24-7 broker is very valuable. Um, as I mentioned, that capacity to access uh uh, to, to execute a trade instantly pre-settlement you know again like if you want to send funds to binance um, you're talking days before they arrive so there's a compelling advantage of what we're doing for your intermediate trader then you have your advanced trader um, there you're people that generally have a large amount of crypto and then what we offer is effectively a better price than you can get an exchange. Uh, that's really where there's a lot of secret sauce that, you know, I won't say publicly (laughs) online, um, but you need to know a lot about how OTC desks work, they're they're, um, under the hood, what they're doing and um, how to effectively manage them so that the price doesn't slip. You know, you'd be surprised in this market about how liquid it is, you know, a a few million dollars and you can be um, starting the next uh, bear trend for the whole (laughs) ecosystem. It's
0: true. It's very, very true. People often forget the potential of that. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 one of those things you can really move a market with some, with a decent amount of float.
1: Yeah, yeah, you you know, it's one of those things that you trial and error is how you learn. Um, But again, you know, you'd you'd be shocked. Some of these clients that we've had, you know, we're talking four hundred thousand dollar positions in 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 some top fifty coins, and you know, if they wanted to sell instantly, they're looking at about a twenty percent haircut. I mean, the good thing for us is. We have access to the OTC, we can price (laughs) that, we've got access to our client book, we know if other people are looking to purchase these assets, and we can spread that, uh, the the risk or the capital across multiple channels, or effectively we we can hedge that into alternatives and spread it out so that you don't kill the price instantly. Of
0: course, yeah. And most of your customers, how do they? I think we were chatting about it before, it's like mainly referral or they find out about you through content or something like that, right?
1: Yeah. So, we've um, we've never really done a lot of marketing. A lot of it has been around building a really solid foundation in the ecosystem mm-hmm. and, um, and, and as I call it, is a brick by brick marketing. So, you know, everyone we have a really good rapport with. We tell them to recommend us to their friends and, you know, it's a real grind. There's no You know, hundreds of thousands of viewers a month for us on our website um it's always john smith told me about you guys um he said you guys are amazing and you know for us i think there's i think that's the right way to do it particularly for our brand being that we're you know trying to build into this financial service world the the cryptocurrency uh consulting management advisory service but yeah it's 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 gone really well so far um
0: yeah. What, what, what
1: can I say? I think uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm scared to say anything else until I I find that there's sprouted other competitors. Uh.
0: Yeah. I mean, look. I think it makes sense. And this in this space, it's like in exchange land. You're you've sort of all about SEO, Finder, AdWords. What else is there? Paying for influencers, et cetera, Whereas the bulk of what you do would probably be around maybe a little bit of influencers and content, but mostly focus on hardcore. Sales, referrals, etc. Just working on that. Well, ultimately, I mean, like, it's it's really
1: what we're trying to establish with the user is trust. And they're not going to use our service if we don't provide value. You know, we're very transparent on our fees. So, with our fees, the concept is, is that, you know, as a company, <laughs> it's not a company where we're trying to fleece the client. It's a client, like, all the money that we've ever made as a company has gone directly back into the management of clients assets. There's a lot of work that goes into having 24 seven operation, um, having a high touch white glove service for clients, sourcing liquidity for the coins that they request, being able to execute um, at any time of the day on any low cap market coin. Um, all, all those things are effectively coming into a management service. You know, like one thing we do is um, risk assessments for clients. You know, we're talking an eight-page eight portfolio executive summary in, involving multiple consultations with the client. We go through their whole portfolio. Um, you know, we, we have clients where they come to us and they say, okay, I've got $1.5 million of cryptocurrency. I've diversified across 120 assets. Please help me. I have no idea what I'm doing. And it's people like that, that, you know, we offer these services for free. This is all a part of us establishing trust and a long-term relationship with our clients. And those things are incredibly valuable. You know, what we what we found from this assessment was if this guy isn't watching markets 24-7, there's absolutely no way that he can capitalize on these positions. Not to mention the fact that majority of these are so... Uh, small that if they were to go to zero, you wouldn't notice. And if they were a thousand X, it's not going to make a dent in your portfolio. Mm -hmm. And it's stuff like that where, you know, there's a huge amount of value that the end user can capture through having consultation and management over these investments. And that's ultimately um, what we do as a company, what we think is very valuable to our future.
0: Yeah. So, it sort of sounds like it's not only saving them time and money, but it's also increasing knowledge in a way.
1: Well, I- exactly. I mean, the, the truth is that if all of our clients don't um, don't make money out of cryptocurrency, then we're not going to have a business. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so it's in our interest to go that extra mile to make sure that the client's looked after.
0: Do you guys have any, like, minimums? Because w- when I go to other, like, OTC exchanges, they're very explicit about the minimum amount that they'll deal with, like $50,000 or yep. 100000 or whatever. I think Hivex is a good example of that. Yep. Do you guys have anything... Around that? So,
1: not really. Um, we used to. Um, our brokers call for a two thousand dollar minimum, um, but realistically, we're not. We're losing on every trade below about fifteen twenty thousand. Yeah. Like for us, it's a marketing expense. For us, it's saying, "All right, we know that you're going to cost us more than we're going to make off your off your trade and your ongoing business, but for us, the importance of you having a good experience and you." trusting us and understanding how to trust cryptocurrency is going to pay dividend in the future because that person refers five people okay and what we're seeing is is that's actually been one of our most effective strategies for uh, marketing
0: that's very interesting i would have never thought about it like that yeah well i
1: mean it's it's ironic because um it's what it's actually one of the things i was um quite opposed to at the start (laughs) because i was like you can't build a business if you're losing money on every client but um Over time, we've found um, that yeah, it 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 does actually work, and it um, ultimately gives you a really good brand and and trust in the ecosystem, and that's um, that's worth a lot more.
0: Yeah. Now you you've like I said, you've been in the space for a while. We've spoken on this show with different people uh, about different things, whether they're an analyst or they're operating an exchange or a business like yours. I think looking at the volume last week, we're cruising now around ten to twenty billion theoretically <laughs> per week. I, I'd say some of that is inflated a bit. But it's obvious that large institutions have entered the market. There's further services that are going to be offered later on down the track. I know you mentioned before about custody. I can see custody solutions rolling out now, if not in Australia, very soon. Curious as to how you see crypto globally now. Yeah, it's um,
1: it's interesting. I'm, how I think my... um thoughts or my opinions of the cryptocurrency market have changed, um, say, since uh, the last time we spoke, you know, nine months ago, whatever it was. Yeah, about that. So, back then, I think I talked a lot around the leveraging of utility in the market to create a um, a higher application for the network, a greater amount of users, a greater um, density in those users. From now, what I believe is... um, the ecosystem is basically at its core has a few main businesses, um, and they're pretty much exchanges. And those exchanges are now almost representing the revenue or the company that can put the spend in to create the network density. I don't so much think that Bitcoin, as an open source peer to peer community, can create a dense network, but I think that. Binance and your BitMEX and your KuCoin and your XYZ, all those companies have the revenue and the network and the ecosystem to iterate that into higher and higher utility. So I am quite interested, you know, looking inside the cryptocurrency market to see how those ecosystems mature in their product offering. I know we've seen with Binance, the idea of IEOs and Binance token over the last year and these things. Uh, but i think that there's a lot more to offer in those uh, ecosystems and i think that they're going to be al- almost like you know to to extrapolate a bit further a- almost like your nation state and your, you know political <laughs> economic concept where binance really becomes the government that supports the expansion and strategy of its ecosystem so so that's that's you know getting a bit out there in terms of um internal to the space and a bit theoretical in terms of externals for the space, I definitely think that institutional adoption has been um, pushing forward. I think that um, they're primarily responsible for the last wave we've seen in the price recently. And I think that um, it's it, it's very rational. You know, like, what pe- a lot of people don't realize in this space is that a lot of coins are not very secure. So, if you've ever tried to do cold storage and custody, coins that aren't in your top 10 you know, maybe about 30 to 50% of them, you can actually put into a very cold storage mechanism. What that means is that they're effectively not secure. You can't secure them. There's no technology that allows you to do it. You're just blind luck hoping that they are secure. Um, so, you see, when, when a lot of people that are kind of not from the institutional space, your everyday retail clients, customers, people, um, when they want to buy these assets, you think, oh, yeah that 's great. you know I like that token, but if you 're institutional and you say all right we 're going to invest in our fund into this asset, well you look at it and you realize that you can 't so those institutional components of custody and x y z um, are very fundamental to actually inputting real money into this space mm. and you know we 're starting to see that start to mature where Coinbase Custody, for example, um, they're starting to offer a huge array of tokens uh, with a you know, billion dollars under management already. And your um, Kingdom Trust, your Zappo, um, BitGo, all those custody companies are really starting to mature into a, a very trustful brand. And um, and ultimately, they're gonna be the ones that can offer the infrastructures for allow for that new wave of adoption, the new network effects, scalability and price, and that will cascade into um, your everyday people and that new trust component where people believe that this technology is um, is more trustable ultimately.
0: I think it goes back to that point you made about density. I think you're spot on. I've come to realize in the last six months that it is, we call them exchanges, but now they're becoming services businesses, right? Exactly. They're They're creating more software which allows people to get better interfaces into crypto. And I think like Coinbase has been very, very good at this. Like you mentioned mm. before about custody. I was actually on their website the other day. They've got custody. They've got earn, which is like, you know, a, a sort of a way of earning money. Yep. Crypt, like sort of influencers earning money via crypto. Mm. You've got pro platforms. You've got the new debit card, which has apparently been launched in the UK. Right. Um. There there's a lot there that they're looking at and they're all different varying ways for you to access crypto. Yeah. Uh, they've got the decentralized exchange as well. What is it called again? Para Parex? No.
1: Oh um So that's a P. I c I can't remember off, off the <laughs> top of my head to be honest. I remember I remember when it was GDAX and now it's Coinbase Pro and Coinbase Custody and all, all the things which you've you have you have mentioned. It's it's really interesting because these um these exchanges, you know, BitMEX as well as setting up their ventures company is one they're becoming uh too big to fail in the cryptocurrency they ecosystem they really are and two is that they've um i very much see them as almost like the institutional banks for this space at at present where they're investing in these infrastructure and big utility projects that ultimately represent that increase in the value of a cryptocurrency protocol i think it's going to be really interesting to see where your your binances and your coinbases uh, move to in the next couple of years, because um, they could end up being those really the the reserve. Uh, it's almost like the black hole in a galaxy. That's kind of where I think they're, it's, <laughs> they're it's, positioned.
0: It's true though. They could imagine if binance, not binance, if if Coinbase collapse, what happens to the coins? What happens to mm. you know everything? That those questions. it be. Wouldn't it be funny? 10 years from now, that's where the space is in, like comparison to where it is right now. It's like paranoid about getting custody, but now it's like, oh, are they too big to fail?
1: Well, I think um, one of the best examples of this was the um, Bitfinex Tether news recently. There was an inquiry by the um, New York uh, State Department, so some uh, legal prosecution agent in New York outlining a request from Tether, which is um, owned, it's very closely affiliated to Bitfinex. It was requesting uh, to prove solvency of this uh, project. They demonstrated that I think it was about 30% of the assets were currently seized, didn't have access to it. So effectively, Tether operates as a stable coin where it's pegged one-to-one with the US dollar. Mm. And so effectively, they were saying that, oh, we're actually <laughs> pegged one to 0.7 to the US dollar. <laughs> But surprisingly, the price didn't fall. Um, What we did see, um, and our analysts picked this up, was so if you look at Tether, there's the rich list, which is the um, exchanges that have the largest holdings of Tether. So after that news broke, um, there was about so the largest one was Bitfinex, sorry, Binance, which has 850 million US. They transferred $125 million to Huobi, $125 million to another Hong Kong-based exchange, and then another $200 million to that got tumbled. And got, no one knows where it was. So that was really interesting because what you're seeing is that it was a very catastrophic situation for the ecosystem because if Tether went down and there's no liquidity, there's no stability in the market, you basically can't get money to Binance or any of these exchanges.
0: So it's, like the it's like a mini GFC.
1: Yeah, it's the same as, it's basically the, the, the Reserve Bank for Cryptocurrency saying, oh, we've we've lost 30% of um, the assets. So what was so interesting is that instead what happened, um, and this is my kind of theory, is that there was a bit of an agreement signed between some of these exchanges that basically lent out the risk over that asset. Um, and there was, you know, because Bifinex is a Hong Kong company. So all of a sudden, this risk is being assumed by Alternative Hong Kong cryptocurrency exchanges. So, not not sure what you read into that, but it sounds like they they were a bit more willing to take the counterparty risk. But what was so interesting is that now this USD based stablecoin tether um, is effectively being propped up by these exchanges. They're willing to assume this risk, but it's actually depegged from parity. So, now you're starting to see a free flowing stable coin for the cryptocurrency market that's arbitrarily pegged to one us dollar mm. and um i think that's a really interesting kind of component because we we were anticipating that this was going to be really bad we were going to see a lot of people start buying bitcoin trying to get rid of tether realize they can't get rid of tether have a, a fall a, a flow on effect where the price just cascades but instead, there seemed like there was some kind of bailout, as you've um, seen before, for
0: traditional markets. How, so. how did your analyst pick that up? That Binance to Huobi. He's trade? very smart. <laughs> like, are there? You know, do you guys use certain platforms for general analytics like that, where you can see that sort of data? Because a lot of this stuff is open. Yeah, that that is the advantage of the blockchain.
1: So there's there's a few components. Um, One is having access to information on your OTC desks. It's quite interesting to see price movements. That's, you know, it's kind of like you've got your surface price on an exchange, and then you've got your deep web price, or, you know, the the 70% of the iceberg. So there's really interesting dynamics between those two prices for Tether. Um, Quite often you see a premium on the retail and a uh, discount on the wholesale, effectively. Anyway looking at this what we were looking at was okay well how are these otc desks pricing this asset where's those fluctuations and then when there was those fluctuations looking at the tether blockchain and seeing what were the large movers on that day Um, and then doing analysis to find out which of those addresses were owned by who and some of that information is freely available Um, the key thing though is that you need to know when to look and where to look Um, and yeah that's that's uh, a up to Jackson, my COO. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was him, not me. I gotta admit,
0: it's uh, it's it's super super fascinating. I think um what you guys are up to is very intriguing. I think so nine months ago, my question to you would have been around, oh, you know, do we need licensing, blah blah. But I'm starting to get past all of that, and I'm starting to realise that none of that really matters it is just about this density in the marketplace and what are you know that's the next you know remember when we caught up last and you spoke about what is the thing that's going to have the next bull run and i've always had that in my head since then and i think that it is those new interfaces those new services that can help people access it more Mm. Um, and i think coinbase is, is always a leading example of that and it's super interesting Super, super interesting.
1: Yeah, it's it's one of the, the hardest things, um, you know, primarily talking about Bitcoin is that you're trying to build a trajectory on a directionless entity um, being open source developer community. You know, a lot of the solutions like um, Lightning or some of the other um, recent proposals to the development of Bitcoin's protocol there's no real intention behind it. It's not It's not really kind of built as a, a consumer product. It's built as a solution to improve scalability, optimization, or, or improve security. So as a result, to try to decipher where that's going to move everything um, or the consumer product of cryptocurrencies, it's basically useless because none of it is really a consumer product. So the best thing to do is to really look at what type of utility can that offer to the, the network as a whole, and then see where that increases transaction throughput ultimately. So yeah, I, I, still, I still believe that um, if that train of thought will lead you to the question of what is the last bull run, what's that point where we hit the tipping point for cryptocurrency, where all of a sudden it is a universally accepted, uh, you know, transactional system, a unit of account, store of value, etc. In, in more of the short term, uh, at present, I think that a lot of the institutional coming online of this tech is the uh, the most logical place for this technology to mature into first. I think one of the hardest things to comprehend with cryptocurrency is the value of one Bitcoin and the unit of one Bitcoin being prohibitive in valuation. So if we look at the price of Bitcoin in 2017, it was when it was, it was about July 2017, the price went to 3000 US dollars, which was double the previous all time high in 2014 of 1200 US dollars. From there, it went back down to about $1, 12, 1300 dollars. From there, it went up to 26,000 US dollars. <laughs> Sorry, 20,000 US dollars, 26,000 AU. So now we're at a point where the price has gone from three and a half thousand to $8,000 US. When we look at the last rally, we're kind of halfway on that blip before the big (laughs) run-up. And me included, I'm like, but a Bitcoin is 8,000 US dollars. That's a huge amount of money. But then you look... At the market capitalization of Bitcoin, which is a hundred billion at current or around there, you know, plus or minus twenty percent, depending on the last five minutes. It's nothing. <laughs> exactly, it's nothing. And so if we're talking institutions get into this place, you know, what's a small position for some of these institutions or just a general factor increase in user adoption? Trillion dollar market cap of Bitcoin, that's nothing. You know, that's still nothing compared to your other assets. Now you're looking at what, fifty thousand a hundred thousand us dollars a bitcoin mm. and you kind of like, well in my perception of value that's just so absurd you know assets should not go up that much um, let alone in a you know 12 month period the truth is is that it's because you're you're using uh, what is it a hundred million um satoshis as a, as a denominator one bitcoin is a hundred million satoshis so the problem really isn't that the bitcoin has gone up so much it's that we're considering the arbitrary number of a Bitcoin to be this unit of account. yeah, And that's really off by factors when we look at the total market capitalization of cryptocurrency. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, because I come into this space and I'm very conservative around my cryptocurrency and how I invest it. But still, when you look at cryptocurrency and you start thinking of numbers on those factors, you start to think that you're thinking a bit too idealistic and maybe <laughs> maybe you should get a bit more rational. But it's it's completely in a realm of, of reality. And I think that's um, one of the hardest things is to be able to comprehend such increases in value, but also rationalize and justify that based on the market condition or the market capitalization. And when you do that, you realize that there's a lot more uh, sensibility in these numbers, albeit that they're
0: exceptionally high. And it's hard to tame that as well when there are people who are carrying on about the price going up and buying the Lambo.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's a, it's a big challenge. I, mean, I, I myself, I've been trying to internalise that that a hundred thousand dollar Bitcoin isn't that insane for the last six months, and I think I'm maybe halfway there at the moment.
0: Um, I want to jump to some short, fast questions to finish you off. Okay. Um, what's your morning routine look like at the moment? Uh,
1: wake up at seven, have a coffee, uh, head into the office, have a handful of almonds and a coffee and um, and then probably work for about half an hour and have another coffee. There and you go.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Three coffees a day, damn. Um, <laughs> if you had to gift one book to the audience, what would it be and why?
1: Ooh, one book, I think I'm going to have to say Sapiens still. yeah. It's uh, it, It's one of those books that you don't need any prior knowledge. It's just a great read. It flows beautifully and the subject matter is super interesting.
0: Uh, and last question for you. Decompressing at night, how do you do that? Um, I'd like to say that
1: I read all the time, but I've been um, a bit sloppy on that and I've been mostly... Um, I'm actually watching classical uh, classic movies at the moment. So, oh, really?
0: Um, Any particular movie recently?
1: Uh, well, I watched Platoon last night. There so, you go. Yeah, I've been going through a few... Um, old vietnam movies but it has to be kind of you know 20 30 40 years
0: why is that why why did you decide on that um well
1: i stopped watching movies for quite a long period of time and then i realized that what i did is i switched from movies to books and i kind of got very very into reading and then i kind of decided well i haven't kind of experienced a um cinema medium for quite a while so i got back into that and yeah I, i think that there's you know great movies and great kind of artistic feats in those movies so um apocalypse now absolutely classic yeah i i think it's better than than platoon definitely <laughs> um but yeah all, all those movies all, you know recently was getting into the kind of the whole sci-fi concept of um the singularity and movies that represent that uh-huh. and um and th- things like that which i think there's a lot of you know great great films in there that that the millennial generation doesn't necessarily appreciate or sees it as too old.
0: Definitely. Too old or, um, you know, people just want to remain relevant now. Like, I always find myself going back to watch The Great Escape. The great <laughs> cinema, Like, the cinematography, the landscape in the Alps, it's just an amazing movie to watch. Um, it's not terribly accurate or new, but <laughs> like, still, it's, it's just a really nice movie to watch. Still very old though. <laughs> uh,
1: absolutely. There's, um, yeah, there's, it, it's quite funny. So, if you look at like the IMDb top 100 movies, um, good luck finding more than, you know, two movies that were made after 2010, if any. That's a good point. And yeah, I hope that's not foreshadowing things to come.
0: <laughs> well, look, Rupert, thanks for coming in. Um, where can people find you and Caleb and Brown? Um, well,
1: Caleb and Brown on all social handles. Um, otherwise I'm in the city most days working out of a, uh, CBD office. Other than that, hopefully it's some events, meetups and, um, talks in the future where we'll be, uh, telling clients how, how they can use our service and the value that we can offer them.
0: Beautiful. Look, thanks for coming in. It's been a pleasure having you. Thanks Jordan. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Margin Call. Before you run off, make sure you subscribe on your podcast app to get first access to new episodes and consider sharing this with a friend who loves the Forex CFD game. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or YouTube by searching GoMarkets. That's G-O-M-A-R-K-E-T-S. Until next time, thanks for listening.